Craig Jeff and Jeff here for another episode of Slycast, the Sylvester Stallone fan podcast. And on this installment, we'll be talking about 1982's Rocky III. One thing I wanted to talk about real quick before we jump in is just Rocky III in general. Is it fair to say that this is really where Stallone's career took a turn? I think this is where he went from, hey, it's the guy that's in Rocky, or, you know, like the first Rocky 1 and 2. Between these two movies in 82 and when he hits the next two movies in 85, he went from like, oh, yeah, I I know who Sylvester Stallone is, to like, he was white hot at that point. Yeah. He could do anything. He could do a movie about arm wrestling. I mean, he could do anything he wanted. Yeah, yeah, it, and it seems like Rocky Three was sort of the conduit for that. I don't know if it was just a, a combination of of where he was in terms of his popularity or what he did with Rocky Three. I have to agree. I, I think that that year, 82, was like a coming out year uh, for Sly in a different way. I mean, he'd already established himself as a, a good actor and a good writer and now he is this prolific force to be reckoned with, if you will. And I think he's even said in interviews, looking back on that era, that that his own ego kind of took off in that that time period. He sort of uh, he grew into somebody completely different on a personal level. Yeah, and uh, apparently he used um, Rocky Three as sort of a vehicle to explore that. Yeah. Yeah, very neat, very neat. So why don't we jump into um, Rocky Three? It opened on May 28th, 1982. And on a budget of $17 million, it made a total of $270 million. So, um, and that wouldn't even be the biggest Rocky movie. Um, that will come uh, later. But um, it's amazing to see that they were still making Rocky movies on the cheap. And, and I guess... They really would continue to make Rocky movies on the cheap because Rocky Four we'll talk about, and then you know after that Rocky Five is a different kind of movie, and then of course Balboa might be the highest budget, but uh, if you adjust for inflation, it probably all works out. So Rocky Three starts, and I know on the other Rocky episode we talked about the questionable timeline. So Rocky Three uh, starts with. The uh, recap of the end of part two, like it normally does. But then we also get uh, a really neat montage where we sort of see the time in between Rocky two and Rocky three of Rocky really becoming a superstar. And we get, um, I guess, some footage that was filmed for the movie. And then also they stole like footage from uh, the Muppet show that we talked about. And then I guess award show and talk show appearances. So. For me, this is where it really gets hard to figure out what year it really is supposed to be. And later in the movie, Rocky will give a speech about how uh, how many years ago it was when Philadelphia took him in. But his kid's a, a different age here. So, uh, Jeff Ferry, what's your feeling on on the, the time frame? What year is Rocky II supposed to take – or Rocky III supposed to take place in? Oh, yeah. we are When Rocky III hits, we are well into movie time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where children age at different speeds, like a kid could age five years in one year, yeah, and then the next movie can come about ten years later, the kid's only like two years older. Like, well, what happened there? I'm under the impression this is supposed to be like three or four years later. 
Yeah. Th- I mean, that because judging by the amount of title defenses and, you know, the time that seems to have gone by, but it's real difficult to judge. Like, it's that's one of those things, like, it's best not to think too deeply about that. <laughs> yeah. It's best to be like, okay, it's another Rocky movie. His kid's this old. Yeah. I'll try to forget for a minute that the, the following movie takes place, like, ten minutes later and is filmed three years later. Yeah, yeah. And there's even a, a, a scene in this movie where we see a tombstone that indicates the year. But uh, Jeff Hewlett. If you want to, I, I don't know if Rocky has ever admitted his age in, in Rocky 1 and 2, but there's a there's a scene in Rocky 3 where he admits that he's 34 years old. So if you want to try to do the math a little bit and, and figure out, I mean, he was in Rocky 1, he was already kind of getting a little older to be a, a fighter. Yeah, and he was already a bit older than the rest of the guys in the gym. So you want to try to do the math. I think Ferry's pretty close on when you say this is, you know, three or four years after uh, the events of Rocky Two, somewhere around there, uh, judging by the age of the kid and the fact that Rocky is 34. But it is kind of that Hollywood magic where, you know, the kid ages a little bit faster than you would think he would. And, and uh, Rocky seems to progress and change as a person quite significantly between two and three that we'll go a little more into as we talk through the movie. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about the transformation that we see during that montage and how effective it was for you? Yeah. Well, I think you see Rocky becoming a bit more full of himself and a little more uh, sure of himself, but not necessarily uh, because he's becoming a better fighter or or a, a better person necessarily but y- you know you see him just completely obliterating a bunch of unnamed fighters and you know he's just kind of seems like he's easily plowing through all these guys and you know we're going to find out more about that as the movie goes on and you compare the things you see uh in this montage where you know Rocky's doing these bows after he wins the fight and uh, things that he didn't necessarily do before that. But I, I think something more significant in the montage is that you're watching, not only are you watching Rocky ascend to the point where he's going to fall off the cliff, you're also seeing Clubber Lang sitting in the audience just going to school on Rocky's style and realizing how easily he can dismantle Rocky because he's not, Rocky himself is not facing any challenges. You know, he doesn't have to work any harder to make himself any better. He can just kind of coast on his laurels because he's, you know, easily tearing all these people apart. And so you're seeing two guys kind of on a pathway to a peak. Yeah. Jeff Ferry. Well, I look at it like this way. Um, When we meet up with Rocky in this, after we see him, the montage where he's taking people out, he's basically in the position at that point that Apollo is in the original movie. Mm-hmm. Like no, no one's really a threat to him anymore. Just his talent and his skills able to, you know, he's able to plow through the field, especially since we find out he's kind of being protected a little bit. So when somebody comes along that has the eye of the tiger and the skill to back it up, he's no longer equipped to deal with that. He can't, mm-hmm. if Rocky was still, if he'd come straight out of Rocky two and faced Clubber Lang, it would either not been a problem or he'd at least been on equal footing. But he's not that guy anymore. Now he's got a family. You soften around the edges. And in a sport like boxing, that's all it takes. Mm-hmm. You don't have the edge anymore. You're not the champ anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a, a great point. 
And one other thing that I sort of took away from this is we almost see where Rocky could have gone after the first fight before he fights Apollo the second time where he sort of does the failed endorsement deals and stuff like that. And it seems like during this montage scene, we get an idea that he sort of cracked that code and developed either a confidence or increased his ability to uh, or improve or learn to read. He all of a sudden is literate, right? He's doing credit card commercials. Yeah. Yeah. But this almost seems like where he could have gone after the events of Rocky if maybe he was in a different position, um, I guess, personally. Now, the front end of this movie is really where we get a lot of the, I guess, the, I want to call it the shoehorned in Pauly stuff. Because I don't want to say Pauly gets shortchanged in this movie, but you can almost say that from Rocky three, not until Rocky Balboa. Paulie's really getting shortchanged. Uh, Jeff Ferry. All right. Here's what I'm going to say about Paulie. Everybody in this movie seems to have progressed and become something better, different, and like the years have changed them. Apollo's a different guy. Rocky's a different guy. Adrian's a different person. The only one who went the wrong direction was Paulie. In the first like 20 minutes of this movie, he is such an ass. Yeah. I mean, even worse than he is in the, the other movies, I understand it. Like, oh, okay, okay, I don't like you, but you just – and it's just out of nowhere. I mean, because by the second half of the movie, he's he becomes the Pauly you kind of know for like three, four, and six. Yeah. Where he's like a little schlubby, but like he's basically got Rocky's back. Mm-hmm. He's just so out of control at the beginning of this movie. You're like, this should have been Pauly in part one and two. What are you still doing this for? Yeah. And it just takes one comment. Oh, you know, I'll help you out. Oh, that's all I ever asked. Yeah. What? <laughs> Four years of this? You could have just asked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeff Hewlett. Well, uh, you know, Paul, clearly in, in Rocky 1, they established the fact that Paul is an alcoholic. And I don't think you can attribute normal human behavior with an alcoholic. I mean, you can see other people in the movies who are progressing and growing as people. But when you're chemically dependent, like Paulie is, I mean, you can't expect him to grow at the same rate as everyone else and uh, you know, he's just going to kind of go along for the ride. Everyone's becoming successful. Paulie didn't really become successful at all. And, you know, you see his frustration building. You know, he's sitting in a bar. He's seeing Rocky on TV. He's wasted. He's walking through the arcade. He sees a Rocky pinball machine. You know, this is a guy who, you know, he feels like he's helped Rocky get where he is and he hasn't gotten anything out of the deal, right? And he gets frustrated with it, and because because he's he's wasted, smashes the the pinball machine, and you know you, you he leads it up to the point where he's in jail. Rocky comes to get him out, and I think as they're walking through that parking deck, and Rocky says, "Listen, I didn't tell Adrian anything about this." Maybe Paulie realizes for a second, well, you know what? Maybe this guy isn't so. Maybe he does really have my back, and you know he's now he's finally reaching out a hand and offering to help me. And give me a job. Maybe that's really the incentive Paulie needs to to heal up and get better. You know. Yeah, that was my takeaway. Was it almost seemed like Paulie was accusing Rocky of changing, um, and there were changes that he went through, but it didn't seem like like Rocky's core values had changed. So it almost seemed like Paulie was latching on to that excuse of uh, you know, you've changed um, without really looking at himself and honestly assessing that yeah well you you know there's a couple of things that that paulie says during that exchange in the parking garage well paulie 
you know, implies that Rocky fixed his face up nice. <laughs> yes. So Rocky's obviously had some kind of plastic surgery. You know, Paulie obviously hasn't benefited from any of that money, right? You know, Rocky's been taking advantage of every opportunity that he has to make himself look better and feel better. And, you know, Paulie subscribes to this, you know, friends owe each other yeah. things mentality. And he says as much. And Rocky obviously doesn't. You know, they, they had that whole argument where friends owe and Rocky says friends don't owe. Yeah, they do. So they have a philosophical difference there. But Rocky kind of be, plays the better man and offers to, to extend that olive branch to Paulie and share his success with him. Yeah, but he, he did give Paulie that X-Lax watch. The, right, the one that he smashed on the ground. <laughs> um and then you also have that moment where paulie starts to physically attack rocky and rocky sort of just uh you know duck and and, uh and bobs and weaves his his way out of it um paulie's got balls he he doesn't sweat them no he doesn't sweat anybody (laughs) i forgot about that he doesn't sweat anybody well he he, don't sweat you he actually does sweat somebody and (laughs) after you're done listening to our discussion Please go and look up my other podcast, uh, Camel Clutch Cinema. Um, I'll provide a link to it in the show notes. We did a, a two-part episode just devoted to Rocky Three, and my co-host Guy Hutchinson provided uh, or dug up a lot of great information about this movie that uh, I won't talk about here because it will be redundant. But one of the things he pointed out, he's a big Mr. T fan, and he pointed out throughout the movie, Paulie doesn't sweat a lot of people, but he does not tell Mr. T or Clubber Lang that he doesn't sweat him. Hmm. So I don't think they have um, a lot of chance to interact. Yeah. Right. Also, I think it's a pretty wise move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Paulie, Paulie knew knew his place there. So we really spend the first part of this movie just sort of getting wrapped up in the, the good times that are occurring, uh, I guess in, in Rocky's life is, his home life's good. Things are good with, uh, with Mickey. Mickey is living, in uh, the Balboa mansion with them. <laughs> and it's just the really uh, feel good moment of the first half of this movie. And I guess it's the bright sunshine before the, uh, the storm. Yeah. Rocky serenading Adrian with take you back in bed. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, and Adrian, uh, not doing great, uh, you know, do up vocals. <laughs> so that leads us to the statue dedication, right? I think the Thunderlips comes first. Okay. Yeah, right. So they have this charity match between Rocky and Thunderlips, played by Hulk Hogan. This was uh, sort of the movie that, that put him on the map. And it was the ultimate male versus the ultimate meatball. <laughs> and this is really probably where a lot of Rocky fans might say, stop the bus, I want to get off. <laughs> Jeff I'm not Perry. one of them. Uh, or Jeff yeah. Hewlett, um, what is your take on this sequence? I really enjoy this sequence, honestly. I, I think when I was younger, when I first watched this movie, I wasn't able to comprehend why Hogan couldn't be Hulk Hogan in the movie. I, mean, I guess there was some licensing trouble or, or maybe they just didn't want to use the character for whatever reason. But uh, getting past that and, and seeing him being the heel, uh, because I was a wrestling fan uh, back then, and seeing Hogan do the love slaves thing and the, the ladies man thing, I thought this fight was a lot of fun to watch because you always wondered as a wrestling fan what it would be like to see a wrestler fight a boxer, mm-hmm. right? You two different styles. You know, you think is that a quick boxer, could, could they take out a wrestler who's more of a brawler and a scrapper? I think overall, 
you know, Sly does a great job of getting tossed around. I think he sells that really well. You get the first hints of Mickey having heart trouble. Yeah. During this fight. So there's a little significant moment there. I love that that, you know, wrestling is always notorious for the chair hit. <laughs> so Paulie has to come in and hit Hogan with the chair. <laughs> You know, they have to throw that in there. And then you see Rocky transform from a, a boxer into a wrestler, right? And throw in Hogan out of the ring. Yeah. So uh, really a, a lot of fun. And the only thing that kind of threw me off during this fight is the fact that Clubber is in the audience watching this. Mm-hmm. Say, why would Clubber need to go to school on this fight? You know, why would he spend the money to sit and watch this when it, he's really not going to learn a hell of a lot about it? Well, it was for charity. Well, of course, yeah. Club was all about charity. <laughs> he's a big charity. He's a big charity guy. <laughs> Jeff Ferry. Well, to the point, to the Mr. T point, I think the reason why he's there is the same reason you see him at the other matches. Unlike Apollo, he's given like no backstory. When we watched Rocky One and Two, you see Apollo setting the fight up. He's talking with his guys, so you're seeing what Apollo's up to. Like you see nothing about Clever Lang until he shows up at the thing, until he shows up at the statue dedication. So, like, they had to do something to get him in the movie. Otherwise, you wouldn't see him for 40 minutes. And then when he showed up, you'd be like, who's this guy? <laughs> it just showed up out of nowhere. But uh, as for the fight, I shouldn't like this fight, but I love it. Yeah. It's, like, same thing. I was a huge wrestling fan at the time. You know, I was probably sporting the Hogan colors at that point. I was probably a Hulkamaniac. I was. Yeah, I mean, I probably hadn't made my turn to start liking all the heels by that point. That was probably a little later. Yeah, But, I mean, to see him walk into the ring, and he looks like... You see wrestlers fight each other. They're all huge. Yeah. So it's tough to tell how big they are. But he gets in there with Stallone, who's already not a big guy, and he looks inhuman next to him. I mean, he looks like... You're like, well, he's going to die. and Which is basically what two minutes of the fight is. It's just him. How far can I throw Stallone around this ring? Yeah. And then Stallone gets in a couple good things. Um, My... Two things I point out about the fight. The one thing I don't like about the fight is the Mickey part about them showing him having the heart trouble or whatever. I would have rather that didn't get shown and then it just happened at the the Clubber Lang fight because now it makes me feel like, well, and now I don't feel quite as bad for you. You knew you had heart trouble. It makes it look like Mickey did something wrong. Yeah. You could have taken care of that <laughs> or like you could have said something to somebody instead of just being like, I'll walk it off. Yeah. The part I do like is Stallone gets the better of him, of course, because it's his movie. He wins. He's punching him for real. And the fight ends. And then, as far as Hogan's concerned, or Thunderlifts, oh, okay, it's over. Yeah. And he's like, and he's like, why are you so crazy? And he's like, ah, you know, it's just the way it is. Yeah. Oh, he's like, you want to take, take, yeah, can I take some Polaroids? Oh, yeah, fine. And then he poses for some pictures. Yeah, Polaroids that end up being the pictures used on the front page of the paper. Right. Yeah, pol- Polaroids that are like, um, you know, <laughs> professional quality like you get yeah um one other thing i liked about this sequence that you guys didn't touch on was that mickey seems really really against the idea of rocky fighting a wrestler yeah not that he's opposed to wrestling or you know the the theatrics behind it but he seems more opposed to the fact that this guy could cause real damage to to Rocky, who was somebody that we, you know, we learned through the course of this movie that he's really been sort of protecting. Mm-hmm. Well, it kind of goes in goes in line with the protecting him 
role that Mickey has taken. So, yeah. he's, he, you know, he's trying to protect them as best he can from getting, you know, a life threatening injury. So this fight could definitely result in that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now we move to the the big statue dedication and it's on the steps of the the Philadelphia Art Museum, the the famous steps that that Rocky ran up during uh, his training montages and the whole, the city's basically um, celebrating their native son and they're unveiling a, a statue that while I was watching the movie, I was amazed that it stood, stayed around Philadelphia for as long as it did. And then I know it went and was set up at um, outside one of the arenas and now it's back at the art museum in a different spot. But I was amazed that after Rocky three, they didn't just strike that statue and put it in storage or something. I mean, the fact that Philadelphia kept it around is um, is really neat. Either one of you guys have any thoughts on that? Well, if it was up to me, it would still be at the top of the art museum steps. Agreed. But Absolutely. the reason why it's not there is because they've had a huge fight with the actual art museum. Because the art museum says that it's not art, yeah. that it's a movie prop. So the art museum tries to get rid of it. The city flips out about it and says, no, it's got to stay there. So it was at the Spectrum. For about 10 years. Right, yeah. And then when they tore the Spectrum down, they were like, well, what are you going to do with it? So it's been at a couple, like two different places at the foot of the steps. Because that's as far as the museum is willing to go. They'll let you put it down at the bottom. So like it's there, but it's at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, I think the spot it's in now is is okay. And at the top of the steps, you still have the Chuck Taylor footprints, which is pretty neat. Where <laughs> I guess you can you can see the exact spot where, uh, where Stallone stood. Uh, Jeff Hewlett, thoughts on... The statue and its legacy. I think we should all go down there at some point and try to move it ourselves back up to the top <laughs> of the stairs where it's supposed to be. People would help you if you were doing it. <laughs> let's all let's put out the call to the Slycast listener base and let's all show up and move the statue ourselves. <laughs> I, I think it deserves to be up there. I mean, Rocky is of course a fictional character, but he's so iconic uh, in this country. I think it deserves a better place and. You know, the statue to me is art. Someone did create that. You know, that that's not something that was, you know, manufactured on a machine and just and, and just put there. I mean, somebody actually had to work on that and create it and put it together. And I, I think it's kind of an insult to yeah. say that it's not yeah. art. But um, it is art. I mean, it's got a it's got a plaque at the bottom that says Rocky, a Thomas Schomburg sculptor, thunder in his heart. The character who represents the courageous spirit of the great city of Philadelphia and the brotherhood of its people. There you go. I couldn't have summed it up better. And, you know, I, I will confess I've run up those stairs. I was really out of breath by the time I got up them. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, a, uh, that's, a, uh, that's a tourist tip for anybody that comes to Philadelphia and is going to run up the steps. Don't run up the steps until you're at least uh, halfway up. Do <laughs> yeah, not start at the bottom. You won't make it. It's tough, man. It is, <laughs> it's much more difficult than, than Stallone makes it look. And, I'll tell you, by the time I got up there, I had to sit down for a good 20 minutes to catch my breath. <laughs> right, right. So during this sequence, we get um, a speech from Rocky that, for me at least, took me off guard. So he's initially, it almost looks like he's disgusted by the statue. I don't know if that was just the reaction he chose and it, it didn't play very well, but I don't know if he's embarrassed by the fact that he's got a statue dedicated to him. Do either one of you have a take on that? You know, 
I've seen this movie probably, I, I don't even know if I can count it, but, you know, 20, 30 times. And I think my reaction to it is that I think he wasn't expecting it. And I he was thinking about announcing his retirement. And I think when he saw that statue, it was like a, wow, okay, wait a minute. I'm about to, these people are giving me this huge, wonderful gift and honoring me. And I'm about to pull the rug out from under them. Yeah. I tell him, I'm gonna, not going to fight anymore. And knowing how humble Rocky is as a character, maybe he was thinking, maybe I'm not deserving of this anymore because, you know, I should still be fighting and making Philadelphia proud and honoring this gift that they've given me. Yeah, that's uh, an excellent point. Yeah, I, I, I definitely feels like he's embarrassed. Like he doesn't know how to, he's real awkward. Like he seems to have been, gotten, he got a lot smoother in this one. Until that gets brought out, and then he kind of almost goes back to the old Rocky of, like, he's fumbling around. He's like, oh, uh, you know, pigeons will have a place to land, and he's, he gets real awkward. I just think if they were just there to give him, hey, thanks, Rocky, you're the best, I think he'd have been fine. But he feels weird, like they're giving him this unbelievable gift, and he just feels like, well, I'm just a boxer. I just go out there and box. Yeah. Did you feel, uh, Jeff, that his retirement – came sort of out of left field? I, I don't know that he had it planned. I think he might have been like, well, he may have been thinking about it, and then they throw the statue up there, and he's like, well, I'm done. You know, I don't want to do this anymore. But, again, it's a sports retirement, which if you've ever known anything about sports, <laughs> sports retirement is just about – it's just like a wrestling retirement. It yeah. means nothing. It means I'll be back next year. Yeah. Well, you know, don't don't forget that. I mean, this this was never mentioned again, and and it's a head scratcher for me. But remember that horrendous eye injury he had. <laughs> yes. That was supposed <laughs> to take him out of fighting completely. That that was completely glossed over. You know, maybe that was something that he maybe he thought, well, well, you know, maybe I should retire, or my eyes gonna fall out next time I fight. Yeah, and and that this would sort of be the trend that the Rocky series would take because. In part five, he's got severe damage from his fight with Drago. But then in Balboa, everything seemed to clear up. So, yeah, this is, you know, like I said, I this is really, I think, the entry in the series where certain people check out because this is really the movie where it leaves our universe and really enters some pseudo alternate Rocky universe. You think so? Oh, yeah. Rocky 3 and 4 exist in a different world. I don't know if I... I Rocky 4, definitely. I'm not, I'm not sure if I can agree on 3. Yes, yeah, 3 and 4, if compared to 1 and 2, 1 is realistic, 2, up until the end, maybe the last 5 minutes, is at least on planet Earth. 3 and 4, yeah, they're, they're not... I don't want to say they're not cartoony, because it's not like that. It's not that bad. But it's definitely hyper-reality. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I think three and four, the thing is, the fights really changed. You think? Well, every punch sounds like a car crash. Yeah, and, and then there's there also just really, I mean, not to say that the Apollo-Rocky fights weren't unrealistic, but we reach a whole nother level, and I'm completely fine with it. Like I said, I, I you know, I love Rocky three, but I can understand people that, sort of checked out of the series and it was very few people because the series went on to be incredibly more successful as it went on. 
So during this retirement speech, Clubber Lang reveals himself and is very, very angry that Rocky is going to retire before Clubber has a shot. And he says, you got your opportunity. Give me mine. He says, don't give uh, Rocky a statue. Uh, give him guts. Clubber has just a great, great series of lines here. And this is one of those movies where you watch a role and you see an actor uh, in, a, in, a, in a role and you watch their performance and say, I really can't imagine anybody else doing that. And that's what I think when I watch Mr. T in this film. And the funny thing about it is Clubber Lang seems really a lot different than Mr. T, even though they physically resemble each other. But Clubber is really, really bad to the bone. Uh, Jeff Hewlett. Yeah, I'm going to say Clubber is probably my favorite of the Rocky villains. But uh, to to roll back just real quick to what we were talking about before, I, I can definitely understand the point about Rocky Four being kind of out in left field. But Rocky Three to me, seems almost like a logical progression from Rocky Two. I mean, you take a guy who's never experienced money and success, and of course, it all goes to his head and he gets overconfident. Uh, it, it's the same as, you know, a, a person winning the lottery and blowing every cent that they won and becoming poor again. I mean, it seems like a logical progression story-wise to me. Sure, the fight is a little bit different. And it gets a little over the top with the sound effects and everything. But I, I, I think lumping Rocky three and four in the same category may be a little unfair. But as far as this scene is concerned, this is a great moment for Clubber. It really establishes the character. It establishes his, you know, his badassness, if you will. Uh, he's he's willing to say anything and to anyone i mean he kind of talks down adrian even you know he, he calls out adrian and and tells him that uh that tells her that he's he'll show her the real man and that that really gets under rocky's skin and pretty much solidifies the fact that there's going to be a fight between the two of them despite the fact that rocky's going to retire so you know clubber is able to goad rocky into fighting and he's also able to create a situation where mickey quits yeah you know, because Mickey has obviously been also sitting in on Clubber's fights during a lot of these montage scenes. You know, he's been Mickey's been going to school on this, you know, up and coming contender who has the hunger and the quote unquote eye of the tiger. And he knows in his heart of hearts that this guy can destroy Rocky and he doesn't want any part of it. So he's out. Yeah, so it's a pretty iconic scene, I think, in the franchise. Yeah, and it's it's hard to really root against Clubber Lang at this part of the movie. Oh yeah, because he's just a guy that wants his shot. Well, yeah, he at this point he's just a guy. I mean, his tactics are maybe not the best, but uh, he's not wrong. He's being ducked at this point, and uh, I'm gonna okay. Clubber Lang is definitely not my favorite of his opponents. But I'm going to say right now, especially at this point in the film, it is definitely not Mr. T's issue that I have because I had forgotten. I hadn't seen Rocky Three in a while, and I kind of became known as the person who didn't like Rocky Three. Mr. T, especially early on when he's just talking, he can he is good on the mic. He mm -hmm. could definitely run some wrestling promos yeah. because he makes that scene, and he immediately makes you think, this is someone you don't want to fool with. And, I mean, you've – not really seen him fight all that much and you haven't seen him do all that. But like in that one scene, he's instantly, okay, this is the bad guy. And where I'll say, this is not, again, this is not Mr. T's issue. This is an issue with the script. 
the problem with him, and the great thing about him, which is why I say this movie's got a hyper-realism thing going on, he has no layers to him. Yeah. He's just bad. Yeah. He is a bad guy. He wears a black hat. He is a bad guy. Where Apollo had, he was the villain of the piece, but he had shades of gray to him. And it doesn't change in the fourth one. There's no shades to the Russian either. He's the bad guy. Yeah. You're evil. You're the bad guy. And that's the same way in here. Now, and I love his performance of it. And he definitely owns the role. And I agree with you. Name 10 actors that were, you know, could have filled that role at the time. And you're going to be like, no, like none of those guys would have worked. What are you going to give me Paul Newman, John Travolta? I mean, no, I don't think any of them were going to be good in that role. Yeah. So as Jeff Hewlett alluded to, this is the sequence where Mickey basically quits because Rocky wants to fight him for obvious reasons. He's been insulted and he's, you know, been goaded into fighting. And Mickey, fearing for Rocky's title, (laughs) says that Clubber won't get a fight. And this creates a rift between them. And Rocky finally convinces Mickey to let him fight. And Mickey says, all right, but we got to play by my rules. And then they don't play by Mickey's rules. They have this circus of a training camp where Rocky basically rents out. um, It looks like the lobby of a, a hotel or a convention center and really just does this dog and pony show of a, of a training se- uh, you know, sequence. And you almost really start to not like Rocky at this point. At least me, it was, it was one of those things where you see Rocky training and then they intercut it with clubber training. And you say, Rocky, you know, you better change your ways here. Uh, Jeff Hewlett. A couple things happen in the um, the scene in Mickey's bedroom where they're having the conversation where Rocky's trying to convince Mickey to train him. And you get the exposition that that Mickey has kind of handpicked the 10 previous fights that Rocky has participated in. And that sort of causes a small rift in their relationship and actually emotionally scars Rocky that comes back later in the film. So now Rocky is sort of questioning himself, thinking, well, wait a minute, you know, have I really been challenged or have I just been fighting bums? Yeah, essentially. And Mickey, you know, defends himself by saying, you know, I I wasn't setting up easy fights. I was just protecting you so that you wouldn't get hurt or lose your title in a in a, in a horrible loss. So I think there's a great dialogue exchange there that really develops the relationship between Mickey and Rocky. And I think Mickey throws out a line that pretty much breaks down Rocky's descent before it actually happens. So, you know, Mickey says the worst thing that could happen to a fighter, you got civilized. (laughs) Yes. Which is essentially what happened. You know, Rocky is a, you know, a down and out guy from Philadelphia who, you know, met with no success. And now all of a sudden he's got money and, and power and you know you, the the training montage that comes up after this is is evidence of the hubris that Rocky feels now he's just kind of going along he thinks he's indestructible he he doesn't have to put any effort into it and it may be part of it that is Mickey's fault because Mickey's been setting him up with these fights that were pretty much guaranteed wins and I'm kind of sad that Mickey caved in and you know he knew that Rocky couldn't beat Clubber, you know, unless, of course, somehow mysteriously he was able to to get back to his roots again. 
But, you know, Rocky is going into this fight for essentially all the wrong reasons. And, you know, Mickey kind of goes along for the ride. You know, Rocky shows no heart whatsoever. And, you know, I'm surprised that Mickey didn't wind up quitting again during this lavish, you know, training camp that Rocky booked out in this posh hotel. It seems that that Mickey would have thrown the towel in, you know, in, in it's pretty sad when you when you watch the uh, it's it's almost like a merch show <laughs> where they're setting this up so he can just sell a bunch of T-shirts and hats and boxing gloves. Yeah. And earlier you referenced how Rocky three Stallone approached it from sort of an autobiographical standpoint. Mm-hmm. And um, at the evening with Sylvester Stallone back in in January in the um, in the UK, um, he talked about it and he said, I had become really egotistical much more vain than I had been. That's what happened to Rocky. That's why you go down in flames. You're protected by agents and no one tells you the truth. It costs Rocky everything and he had to rebuild the eye of the tiger. So I think that really sort of puts Rocky III in a new perspective. Jeff Ferry, where are you with this whole Mickey change of heart and training sequence? Well, I definitely think this pushes my theory that he is basically becoming Apollo at this point. Because this is the kind of nonsense, this training, so-called training montage. It's like, that's the type of thing you would have expected from Apollo. All the pomp and circumstance, and there's the pretty girls, and we're doing this and that, and no actual training's happening. And you're just going to be like, I'm so good, I'll just win anyway. You know, I don't really need to train. Now put that up against his training montage from the original Rocky. The first time you see him do it where he gets up at five in the morning, cracking open eggs all by himself, going out running. Like that's not, he's not that guy anymore. Like he doesn't have that fire anymore to do it. Like he's fighting because, Hey, I kind of have to fight. And the guy made fun of my wife in front of everybody. And I agree with you. Part of me is like, why does it Mickey just walk away? And I think he wants to, but he's torn between like the manager part of him probably would wants to walk away. But like Rocky's basically his son now. Yeah. And he's thinking, maybe if I stay with him, I can protect him. I can do something to keep him from getting in there and just getting his brains beaten in. I'll, you know, I can somehow do – I can fix it. But he really doesn't have that much control over Rocky anymore where he can still do that. He's not Mickey from – again, from the first two where he had a lot of control over Rocky. Rocky's his own thing now. Rocky's an, an enterprise. He's a, he's a brand now. Yeah, and maybe Mickey also felt that – Rocky really, after all is said and done, when he gets in the ring, something clicks in him that sort of makes up for any of his technical deficiencies. Yeah, I guess they're hoping like maybe he'll get in there and, you know, Clubber Lang lands a couple punches on him and boom, he just snaps into it. You'll hear about that with like professional sports teams that are really good. They'll kind of cruise to the end of the season and they'll say, well, we'll get in the playoffs and we'll just turn it on. And sometimes it happens. Sometimes they turn it on and they're good. Some teams never turn it on and they go out to an inferior opponent. Because yeah. if you don't have the edge at that high of a level, that's all it takes and you're done. Yeah, it's it's like that whole theory of, uh, you know, a, a lot of people don't really show what they have until their their back's against the wall. So we're at fight night and there's a lot of high tension backstage before uh, we get to the ring and Rocky and Clubber and their camps meet each other in the hallway 
and there's a little bit of a scuffle. And during that scuffle, Mickey is is shoved at some point, right? Yeah, he kind yeah. of gets pushed out of the way. Yeah. yeah. Some of his, I think some of the Club of Land goon squad pushes him. Yeah. And Adrian notices that. They, they rush him to the back. And Rocky is sort of instantly, I don't want to say sobered up, but I think he ultimately becomes acutely aware of his situation. But at the same time, he knows that he can't, worry about Mickey and fight at the same time. Uh, Jeff Hewlett, your takeaway on Rocky's reaction to Mickey and also his thinking that he wants to cancel the fight and Mickey tells him to soldier on. Well, first things first, when a fight happens this early in a Rocky movie, you know it's not a good thing. Well, this is the (laughs) first time that we would really get multiple fights in a Rocky movie, prior to this, we get, you know, um, in Rocky 2, you really only get the one fight. And in the first Rocky, we get, what, Rocky fighting... Spider Rico. Spider Rico at the very beginning, and that's it. So this really set the the, the, the new template where you would get two fights a movie, at right. least. And, you know, you know, you see Rocky fighting this early. You can't imagine that he's going to win this fight because then what's the rest of the movie going to be? You're going to get a clubber rematch and he's going to win again? (laughs) There's just – there's no way you could possibly think that he's going to win this fight. But this is kind of one of those moments where I'm I'm sort of torn in in two different directions. And I think that Mickey having the heart attack or or at this point kind of gives Rocky an out if you will, this, you know, he can, he can easily blame it on, oh, I was distracted. You know, I, I couldn't fight the best fight because I was too worried about Mickey. And I almost wish that it hadn't happened at this point so that you can clearly give a definitive win to Clubber uh, by saying he was a better fighter. But, you know, now you've got this other wild card that got pulled. I mean, we can say going into it that Rocky wasn't prepared or he was overconfident, but but now you've thrown something in to kind of absolve Rocky of lose from losing the fight in a way. But I think if I was in Rocky's shoes, I probably would have canceled the fight, to be honest with you. I think you could tell that Rocky was a, a little bit, you know, off kilter, you know, on the other tangent that, you know, he, maybe he had good reason to not be in the right frame of mind to fight because, you know, this is essentially his father, right? I mean, this this guy is mentored him he's lives in his house you know they're they're the best of friends and i don't think i'd want to go into a a major event in my life knowing that you know one of my best friends or my family members was laid up in a hospital yeah i agree 100 percent. the i feel like they i don't want to say they waste mickey's death because the death Mm -hmm. scene itself in the locker room is good oh yeah but like it's absolutely true it's such an out he he needs to lose that fight toe to toe on equal ground. Now I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give Stallone some screenwriting tips again. <laughs> what would have been better is I didn't mind that they kind of face off on the way out, but they probably could have done without them pushing Mickey down. You know, pushing an 80 year old man to the ground. Yeah. So I would have him come in. Fight starts. The one thing I did enjoy was this is the first time where it's not 15 rounds. Mm-hmm. Like what is it? What is he? Second round, right? Second round, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So like, I love that. Boom, you're done. You're out. What I would have preferred is 
you don't see Mickey in any distress. And then it's like the first round, he goes out there for the second round. He gets knocked out. He looks over at his corner. Mickey's gone. And then he's like, where's Mickey? Oh, you know, something happened. They took him back. And then you have the exact same scene. Mm-hmm. So he still lost toe-to-toe. His manager still had the heart attack. By the time he gets back there, Mickey asks him, you know, what happened? Did, you know, how, how long did it go? Oh, you know, second round, knockout. And he doesn't tell him what happened. He That's just kind of He kind of lets Mickey believe that, you know, oh, I won. Even though I think I, we all know in our heart of hearts, Mickey knows he lost. I mean, he's got to know that he couldn't have won that fight. You see, like, the tear come down. Like I said, in the locker room, it's an A-plus scene. Yeah. But, like, I definitely think they kind of took the cheater's way out and, you know, oh, yeah, he was so upset he lost. No, he was losing that fight no matter what. Yeah. And, I, and just two more quick points that really have nothing to do with anything. Am I the only one that thinks that um Mr. T's uh, guys in his corner look like the Run DMC cover group? Oh, totally. Yeah, they look like that. They looked like they walked out of a, a rap video from like 1985-ish. Also, this probably only struck me weird out of anybody. When the fighters enter the ring, there's a Marine Corps band in there. And they're playing the Marine Corps hymn for no reason. <laughs> like, why would you play that when the fighters enter? It makes no sense. And they play it for like a good solid like two minutes. Yeah. Like, I'm listening to it and my, I'm like, what? Why are they playing that? Like, <laughs> is there something I don't know? I'm like, oh, okay. I guess that's their, their entrance theme. That was just a minor thing. For whatever reason, I wrote that down. It must have struck me weird at the time. But like I said, for the actual in-ring stuff, you know, that's C C plus type stuff. Locker room, death scene, that's an A. Yeah. Well, one of the main things that happens at this point in the movie is really my favorite aspect of this movie. And that is we sort of get the reintroduction or the introduction in this movie of Apollo Creed and he's ringside for this match. He's now, I guess, retired and he's special guest at these matches. And Apollo really makes Rocky three for me as, as much as I love Rocky's arc. I really, really think that Apollo's arc in this movie is really, really great. It's great character work. Carl Weathers nails it. And I think it also really sells the relationship that Rocky and Apollo have built, you know, after starting out as opponents. Um, But before we get into that, there'll be plenty of time to talk about Apollo. We'll talk about the match a little bit. And Rocky gets knocked out in two rounds. And I wanted to sort of propose something to you guys. Do you think that Rocky's loss is a combination of not being prepared, being worried about Mickey, but also the fact that Rocky didn't really have a focused corner at that period. You know, I, I don't, I don't know if I can agree with that. Just because if, if you watch the beginning of the fight scene, I think Stallone in this particular short span does some of his best nonverbal acting in a lot of the Rocky movies. Just look at the expressions on his face, you know, the moments where he's in the middle of the ring and they're, you know, they're facing off the reading of the rules. Stallone, he can't even keep eye contact with Clubber. He's so scared. You know, he's he's looking in different directions. Uh, You know, you can clearly tell that he's distracted. And, you know, between rounds, when Rocky's sitting in the corner, he's completely scared out of his mind 
I mean, you hear things coming out of his mouth that you've never heard him say before. You know, he's absolutely petrified of his opponent. I, and I think that is the biggest downfall of this, is, this entire fight is that he was genuinely scared mm-hmm. of Clubber Lang. But do you think any of that ties into not having a real experienced corner at that point or somebody who could sort of really give him the confidence that he needed? No, because confidence is something that's inside you. It's not something that you get from somebody else. I mean, support is always a great thing. But if he truly believed in himself and believed in his fighting abilities and believed that he could beat Clubber, he wouldn't necessarily need someone to reinforce that. He'd be out there, you know, throwing punches and knowing he could take Clubber out or at least giving him a better fight than he did. I mean, you know, granted, having Mickey in the corner would probably have helped. But I I mean, even if Mickey was in the corner, he still would have been petrified of Clubber, especially after that first round. Yeah, that is a, a good point. The thing about a corner is 99% of their work is done before you walk into that ring. When he needed the corner people was when he was training, when he didn't want to be involved in the training. Even if Mickey was there, even if he had, what's his name, Duke, the guy yeah. that's uh, St- uh, Storm, uh, Apollo's corner man, it wouldn't matter. He had He didn't have the tools for the fight when he went in. Like you said, he while he always respected Apollo, and he would always say, I respect him, he's the champ, he was never afraid of Apollo. And he would just he was in there and his he while he never had the tough face on, he was never afraid. He was just like, Okay, you know, I'm here to do a business. This is my job, I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna box. I respect you, but I'm you know, I'm gonna do my best and I'm gonna try to win. He's not like that, Mr. T. He just doesn't he looks like I would look if I got in the ring with Mr. T. Yeah. Even now. I'd be like, Well, I'm especially after the first time he hits you, you're like, Well, I'm I'm in trouble now. Mm-hmm. Like and the first time I get hit really hard, I'm going to go down and I'm going to stay there. No yeah. matter what happened, if Nikki was fine, maybe the match goes a round or two longer. He never goes the distance and he never wins that fight. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the fights in this movie. Um, this is another movie uh, entry in the series that was directed by Stallone. And what is your feeling on how the fights are presented in this um, the first fight, okay, so there's, you, we're going to go all three fights? Sure, yeah, let's roll them all together. Thunderlips fight, I love it because of what it is. Since it's kind of a goofy occasion, they kind of shoot it that way, where it's kind of like, it's crazy, it's chaos, people are getting thrown around. Totally fine with that fight. His first fight against Mr. T, I like the way that shot, because and it's quick. I mean, he's out there, boom, 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 and it's over. Mm-hmm. And that was very interesting for the series. I mean, I'm going to say, I don't like the main fight in this movie. Yeah. I, not to put down Mr. T, but of all, well, maybe not all, I'm going to say, of most of Stallone's opponents, he had the worst in-ring presence. Like, he didn't know how to throw punches, and Stallone did him no favors because he doesn't shoot it as well as he does later. I don't know if he, because they shot it, like, a little closer in in the first two, where they could hide more. Yeah. And Carl Weathers was just a lot smoother. Like, he looked like he was a boxer. He was real smooth in his delivery where Mr. T is haymaking, haymaking, which was, for when it was real quick, it was okay. And then this is a directing choice that Stallone makes. He has a lot of, like, straight-on shots of, like, him and Mr. T. And they really take me out of the fight because they're not, it's like they're not moving. They're kind of walking towards the camera. Oh, like the P, like the POV shots? Like, you ain't so bad. You ain't so bad yeah. when he's doing that. 
And then Mr. T does it a couple times. It really takes me out of it. Like, he, I think he only does it in this movie. And then he kind of gets away from it. And would say, it was a real good move because it slows down the fight. There's, it, it feels like the fight's not going on still. Yeah. For me, that was I, – I mean, I, I tend to like those moments in movies. And that might be more just, you know, the the camera eye version uh, of, of me as a movie watcher. But – Anytime you're dropped in the middle of something and you almost feel like you're part of it, but I definitely see that criticism. Anything else you wanted to touch on in terms of the direction? Uh, those were the main things I noticed. Were like where it seemed this seemed to be the transition movie between how the fights were shot the first two to how they became to be shot, and it seemed like he had I don't want to say growing pains because the man had directed lots of stuff, but like he always makes stylistic choices in each movie. There's always something different. Like, later on, he starts using a lot of slow-motion hits to the face. That's, like, a later thing. Yeah. But I, I just didn't care for these ones. I felt I was, I felt bad for Mr. T. I, I felt he exposed Mr. T. Like, he would have been better in, closer in with those hits, because then he really looked like he was pounding on you. But when you were far away, it made him look like he was throwing huge punches that boxers don't throw. I mean, that it was just me, maybe, but... Yeah. Yeah, th- this fight didn't really... Well, of course, it's a... It's a Rocky fight, and I still enjoy it because the music's going, and yeah. you can't not love a Rocky fight, even the horrible one that's coming up in a couple fights, in a couple movies. But it's not my favorite, I'll say. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if the the lack of quote unquote smoothness in this movie is due to the fact that in Rocky preparing for it, Stallone had. All the time in the world, really. Him and, and Carl Weathers were able to sit down, spend hours together watching, ta- you know, footage that uh, Adelson had shot on 8mm and really working things through where you get to 1982 and they're working on Rocky Three. Stallone was a busy man at this point. He's directing movies. He's starring in movies. He's writing movies. So I, I think it is fair to assume that Mr. T probably did get the short end of the stick when it came to prepping for this movie. Um, and that's a great observation. I can definitely see the points being made here about the, the final fight and, and the, the device uh, of the straight on shots where you see, you know, Rocky taunting clubber were definitely a jarring a bit. If you were used to the, the fight styles of the previous movies, but, I don't think it took me out of the experience as much as um, Jeff. And I mean, I can definitely understand his perspective on it. But, you know, the, the bigger sound effects, the bigger punch sound effects definitely were a little took a little bit of getting used to. But I kind of chalk that up to, you know, the movie being kind of bigger feeling uh, and the, the times changing a little bit and audiences expecting something a little bit more and, and wanting to give you more grandiose uh, production. But I kind of feel like the fights were, I don't think there were anything less than I would have expected from a Rocky movie. I enjoyed them just as much as the previous two, and maybe a little bit more than some of the subsequent fights that come up in the other Rocky movies. Like I was saying before, I think, especially in the first fight, I think Stallone does some really fantastic nonverbal acting through that first fight. And, you know, he carries that emotional baggage with him through those two rounds and you can see it in every shot during that fight. You can see the weight of that fear just grating on him, especially when Clubber's got him 
you know, wrapped up and trapped, and he's just beating on him. Uh, the only thing that kind of was a little bit over the top for me was that final, you know, big wind-up punch to the face that takes Rocky out. I, I think that was a little bit too much. There was a little bit, there were a few things that seemed almost like they were illegal in that two-round fight. Yeah, yeah. But um, you do make an excellent point in regards to the nonverbal acting. Uh, one thing I really noticed is the work that Stallone does with his eyes um, yeah. during that sequence. You really see the level of fear. Mm-hmm. And that's incredibly hard to convey. So big props to uh, Stallone for for turning in over the, the course of the next, the rest of the movie almost. But the locker room scene with Mickey really is some next level stuff. So let's go there. So Rocky soundly loses this fight. He goes back to the dressing room where Mickey is in not great shape. They're basically told that it, it's time to get Mickey to the hospital. Unfortunately, they don't make it. Uh, Mickey's really weak at this point. And him and Rocky, Rocky kneels down next to him and they have a really quiet conversation. And Rocky as we alluded to earlier, tells uh, Mickey that it was a knockout second round. And they start talking about how they can do other things now, now that they're done with boxing. And Rocky does seem like he's done with boxing here. And he's ready to move on. And Mickey passes. And we get a really, really... Uh, emotional performance from Stallone where as many times as I've listened to this scene, I can't pick out exactly what he says other than we still had more to do. The first thing I will say about this scene is anybody who gets down on Stallone and doubts his acting chops, just watch this scene. It's incredible. I don't know if I could pull something like that off, I mean, you've got to have some serious acting abilities to be able to convincingly pull off that breakdown and that that raw emotion that's pouring out of Rocky in this scene. It, it Every time I see it, it gets me kind of choked up. And, you know, Rocky loses his title and his best friend in the same night. And it's pretty rough, you know, and so he, he really, really does a good job of selling it. And you know, through all that blubbering, you know, I, I, I agree with you, Craig. It's hard to know exactly what he's saying. But, um, you know, I think that lends itself to the overall effect of the scene is that you don't necessarily have to know what he's saying to feel what he's feeling. Yeah. And I think also um, this scene is sort of amplified even more by Adrian's presence. And I think Talia Shire here does a really excellent job sort of just observing this, this the final moments between Rocky and Mickey, uh, Jeff Ferry. Yeah, I mean, this is basically his only parent figure we ever see dying in front of him, like you said, after he's just, you know, lost a fight, which at this point, you can tell how much boxing and, you know, the title means to him. He could care less. He didn't want to go into the fight. Mm-hmm. because he thought this something was going to happen to Mickey, and he was kind of, you know, Mickey's like, you got to go in there, you got to go in there. But, like, the thing I like is, while he alludes to the, hey, it was a knockout in the second round, he still never lies to Mickey. He never says, I won. Yeah. 
He just asks, how'd the fight end? Knockout, second round. He never says, I won the fight. Mm-hmm. He lies he by omission. He leaves it out there. And Mickey lets him off the hook and not ask, did you win? He just, you know, they just leave it as it is. And then, like you said, I'm glad you were able to pick out something he said because I can't understand anything he says. But I just accept that as, like, he's so broken up and he sells it 100%. Again, as much as everybody makes fun of him and we all do the, you know, we do his, our horrible Stallone impressions. Yeah. This is not one of those. Like, this is is an excellent scene, like I said before. Mm -hmm. And then this really leads into what I think is a really effective portion of the movie where we see Mickey's funeral where uh, Rocky is wearing the the dark sunglasses to cover up his bruised face, and he's reciting the Hebrew, and they lay uh, Mickey to rest. And then we get one of the great Stallone montages that cuts in a lot of different footage that we've seen over the course of the the series. And I think it's really effective. I, I know a lot of people fall uh, on different sides of the fence when it comes to montages. But for me, I think Stallone really knows how to put these together. And it conveys what a character is thinking about in an incredibly, incredibly effective way. Yeah, this montage includes the iconic helmet throwing scene where he throws his motorcycle helmet at the statue. Uh, and I always wondered what that signified. Do you think it, it, that he was mad at himself, or do you think he was hating what he had become, the, the commercialized, uh, you know, the rich guy who, who, who lost his edge? Was he mad at what he allowed himself to grow into? That's what I think. Yeah, that's kind of what I was leaning towards. And I think that statue to him signified everything that he felt you know caused him to get to the point that he was at now where he was pretty much at the bottom of the barrel uh, little did he know he'd wind up going at even lower uh, two movies from now yeah. but uh, <laughs> you know i think he felt at the time that he was as low as he was going to go and this was his way of lashing out but one thing that i was wondering about to, to myself was that i don't know if we knew prior to this, what Mickey's last name was. And I don't know if we knew that Mickey was Jewish. Was yeah. that established in this funeral scene? His his name is Mickey Goldmill? I don't think we knew he was Jewish. I think in the first one you see a picture of him. And oh, I, thought yeah, his, I thought his name was on his robe. That could be right. That could be right. I, I had to go back and look at that. You could be completely correct on that. Jeff Ferry, do you want to uh, talk about how these montages play for you? Yeah, it's almost like a recap, uh, bringing you up to speed of all the Rocky movies till now. Like, is this Rocky's journey till here? And then this is where we are now. Like, this is basically your, you've been through the first fight. Mickey just died. This is your breather. This is the, you know, all right, you know, get yourself back together. Here's a quick montage. Like him throwing the helmet at the Rocky statue. I've had a couple different feelings on it. I've kind of felt like, all right, he's throwing it at it because... This is what he became. He doesn't like the commercial Rocky. And then I felt like it. I am the commercial Rocky. I'm throwing it at the old Rocky who stood up on these steps, who was like, he was a man. He stood here. He's, you know, he did what he had to do. And I couldn't do that. So like, I'm mad at him. I'm, you know, I hate that I used to be that guy. That used to be me who could stand up. I could have, not that it would have worked that way, but he kind of feels like he let 
since he let Mickey down, Mickey died. Like, that's not why he died, but I think he puts those things together. And I think that part of the movie is just him trying to get his stuff together. Now, I don't know if... What do you think happens if Apollo never shows up in his life at this point? Oh, I, I, I wouldn't even want to imagine where where things go. He winds <laughs> up running an Italian restaurant. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. I, see, I don't even think he does that because I think... I don't know that he ever gets over this. Yeah. This could be a downward spiral from this point. Not that he has to win the fight. Like, even if he had gone back in and fought Clubber and lost, and say they go 12 rounds, or say they go to distance and he loses by decision, I think that would have been fine. Because he still went in there, stood up, okay, you lost to the guy toe-to-toe. I think he'd, he'd be okay with that. Yeah. I think he felt like he just didn't go in, he, you know, didn't have the eye of the tiger, he wasn't ready to go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, it's a... <laughs> It'd be a lot less fun of a movie if Apollo doesn't show up because I he carries the whole second half of the film, in my opinion. Yeah, thankfully Apollo does show up. Rocky ends up at the gym. I guess Mickey that's Mickey's gym, right? Yep. And he's hitting the punching bag in the dark and a voice comes out from the shadows that is clearly Apollo. And Apollo you know, states that he he waited for Rocky a couple of hours at the house, and then Adrian said, "Well, maybe he's at the gym." And I can't stress enough how much I love where this movie goes from this point, both in how it handles the character of Apollo and just where the story goes, because I think this becomes a story of of great friendship, and also is really the final kind of way that I want to see Apollo, because I think part four undoes a lot of his character work here, but Apollo comes to Rocky and explains to him why he lost and offers to be his booster. Jeff Ferry, do you want to expand on that? Yeah. I'm wondering what this was like when you went to go see this in the theater, like when you didn't know this was coming because this is not that it's completely out of left field because Apollo's in the movie up till then. You see him, he's at their fight. But like over the, it's such a left turn of like, you fought this guy twice and like they have no relationship up to this point except for the actual boxing. It's not like they're saying these guys have been friends in the interim, the four years in between their fights and now. It doesn't seem like they've really communicated at all in the four years that have passed before this movie. But Apollo, a couple things. One, it's obvious he doesn't like Clubber Lang because Clubber Lang shows him no respect and he doesn't like him, I think, to begin with. And the way that Rocky had respect for Apollo, Apollo had the same respect for Rocky, especially after both movies. And to see Rocky go in there and give it 80%, like that offends somebody like Apollo who always, in his mind, went in and was like, I was a great champion. You were a great champion. You can't do that to yourself. You can't go in and not defend your title with everything you got especially you're the man that beat me you know you came in there with that hunger and you beat me i i can't watch the man who beat me get humiliated by this guy who i think is a clown yeah uh jeff hewlett i think you can rewind to the beginning of rocky 2 where you've got rocky and apollo in the hospital and they have kind of that little heart to heart moment you know, where they're discussing the fight and, and, you know, Rocky's asking if he, if he gave his all, was that everything? And, 
you know, I think that they may not have had a, a friendship or a, a deep relationship between that point and this point, but I think it, at least in that moment, Apollo got to see who Rocky was as a person rather than just, you know, a guy he was fighting in the ring. So maybe he did have some insight into what Rocky was like personally and, and maybe had a bit of a soft spot for him uh, since they, they'd been through those two fights together. But I also think that Apollo saw an opportunity to get himself kind of back on top at the same time. So if Apollo were to successfully train Rocky to win this fight and beat Clubber Lang and win the belt back, Apollo is also in a way vicariously winning the belt back himself. So, you know, he's giving Rocky his own style I mean, he teaches Rocky to fight in a different way than he's used to fighting. He teaches him to fight kind of Apollo's way to throw Clubber off. So Apollo sees this opportunity to bestow upon Rocky a, a, a kind of a grant, a, a different way, a, a strategic edge. And through that training and that different fighting style, Apollo kind of embodies a piece of himself into Rocky, or he wants to embody a piece of himself into Rocky, and therefore kind of join with him in a way and and live through Rocky and win a title back for himself at the same time. Yeah, and this almost feels like Apollo really should have went from this movie to being Apollo Creed motivational speaker. (laughs) For sure. So, I mean, at this point, we really just get extended Rocky depression. So Apollo takes him to, is it Los Angeles? Yeah. Yes, he takes him to uh, Skid Row. Yeah. Yep. To, to train where Apollo came up from and they're, they're really, like you said, they're in Skid Row. They're not staying in a luxurious hotel. They're staying in a, you know, flop house and they're training in a gym that's, you know, dark and hot and sweaty. And we've got Tony Duke uh, along on, on, uh, on Apollo's side and Paulie makes the trip because why not? <laughs> um and and uh and Adrian, she's there the whole time or does she show up uh No, she's there the whole time. She's there the whole time. So I'll tell you, the kid gets left behind a lot. Cause the kid gets left behind here and then in part four he gets left behind. Yeah, I was gonna say, well, if he had the robot in in three, it would have <laughs> been a little bit better. I mean, I could leave him in the robot's care, but that doesn't come until four. So maybe he's got some kind of nanny. Yeah. So Apollo basically lays out his strategy here, and Jeff, you you alluded to it a little bit. He's going to really, much like Mickey changed Rocky's style for the fight uh, in part two, Apollo's going to change Rocky's style a little bit. They're going to focus on on speed and agility, and that's how Rocky's going to approach this new fight. But Rocky still can't shake his funk, and we get some some great moments here that it really the first part of this training really culminates with the, the race on the beach where Rocky quits and Apollo says it's done. And this follows a sequence where there was sparring and Rocky effectively gives up and he says, we'll, we'll just do it tomorrow. And, and Apollo says the very effective words, there is no tomorrow. And this leads to Adrian, of all people, really convincing Rocky 
to lace up his gloves and and get to it. So let's talk a little bit about all the things that lead up to the conversation between Rocky and Adrian on the beach. So at the beginning of this sequence, when they first arrive in California, I want to just point out that this is when we get the second appearance of Take You Back in this movie. So you get the arranged version with the musical accompaniment behind it. Oh, it's excellent, too. It's awesome. Great Frank Stallone uh, version of that song. I am very disappointed in the three of us, speaking of Frank Stallone, that we didn't mention Frank Stallone's appearance during the training sequence earlier on in the movie. Yeah. So he's the singer who's kind of in the background there, uh, you know, belting out some tunes while Rocky's training. And he's he's credited as, quote unquote, singer yeah. in the end credits. So mm-hmm. uh, so Frank Stallone does make an appearance here. Hey, well, get this. There is another Frank Stallone appearance. Oh, where? He's one of Rocky's opponents when we see that montage of Rocky defending the title. Really? Yeah, and I did not learn this until I met Frank Stallone a couple years back, and we were talking uh, about his career in general, and he mentioned uh, the fact that he was one of the boxers. And sure enough, if you go back and watch, you'll see Frank there. So uh, it was funny because Frank was – he said it matter-of-factly, and I was like, really? And he was like, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know, that's pretty awesome. Almost shocked that uh, that we didn't know that. So, uh, yeah, there's there's there uh, there are a couple of uh, Frank Stallone sightings throughout. And, and thank you for for pointing that out, Jeff. Great stuff. So I'm glad to know that. But well, another interesting thing that we learn early on in this this sequence and through the training montage is that Paulie's kind of a racist. <laughs> I <laughs> mean, he says a couple of really racist remarks one of which is uh you know as he's walking from the limo uh, into the gym he's looking around and he's seeing a lot of you know black folks hanging around outside and he said remarks that i don't like these people you know these people and then you know later on during one of the training sequences where you know apollo is trying to change rocky's style paulie says you can't train him like a colored fighter yeah <laughs> it, it just I don't know if these are really necessary things. I was another one of the things that kind of uh, smacked me in the face about this. A few of the negative things about this movie, which are you know mostly positive, but th- these are the couple of things that kind of threw me out of it a little bit. But uh, Stallone, once again, through all of the sequences, he does a really great job with a lot of his nonverbal acting. I mean, you can obviously see that he's very distracted. His mind is elsewhere. He's extremely depressed. You see some flashbacks, you know, during some of the sparring sequences where he sees Clubber, you know, beating on him, leading up to the point where he's racing Apollo in that that iconic beach scene. Uh, You know, he's running and you're seeing a lot of these flashbacks and you're seeing the exchange, you know, where where Rocky's blaming Mickey for carrying him and leading up to that that great exchange between Adrian and Rocky. So another awesome character moment. You know, where Adrian really stands up to Rocky and gets him to admit that he's scared. You know, it's a huge moment for for Rocky as a character to admit that he's frightened, that he's lost so much and he's afraid of losing what he has left, which is his wife and his child and his life. And, you know, Adrian lays it down to him and it gets him to turn it around and, you know, kind of like she did in, in Rocky, too where he was depressed and he didn't want to train properly until, 
you know, she wakes up from her coma and says she wants him to win the fight. Then all of a sudden, magically, he's, you know, back on top and ready to go. So it's kind of a the same type of a sequence that happens from two repeated in three, uh, just with a different twist on, you know, the reasons why he's, you know, for and in, in two, he's concerned about Adrian's life. And in this one, he's just really, you know, scared of Clubber and scared of losing what he's got left. Yeah. Do you think when people sit down and compile Rocky's win loss record, they count this as a loss to Adrian? Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. By knockout. He gets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Jeff Ferry. I like the uh, the training. Again, the training is great because you're used to, all right, here comes my Rocky training montage. Whoa, what happened? <laughs> He's just not into it. He's got nothing. That's what I'm saying. If if Apollo hadn't come in and then kind of sparked this, the, you know, fight with Adrian, this may have been what happened to him. Like he slowly goes down the drain. As because he's got he he thinks he has oh I got nothing to fight for I got nothing and it's not until she kind of brings it home to him like this is who you are you need to do this I am the person who you could lose and I'm telling you to do it yeah. you know basically freeing him of that ob- like he's got so much weight on him of like I don't want to lose everything I've gotten I don't want to do this he needs to not have that in the first two movies. In the first movie, he has nobody, so he has no baggage. The second movie, like uh, Hewlett said, he had the baggage on him until, again, she releases him of it. Like, no, I want you to win. Get out there. And, like, that's what he needs. Apparently, every movie, Rocky at some point needs a kick in the ass to get out there and do what he needs to do. I mean, in the fourth one, he gets it in a really horrible way, but, I mean, he does get his motivation to uh, fight. But, yeah, he definitely loses that fight to Adrian, but, I mean... As a married man, he should be used to that. (laughs) So really, from this point on, we get the traditional training sequence that leads into the fight. And one thing of note here is that um, Rocky and Rocky II both clock in about the two-hour mark. And Rocky III started the trend of bringing the Rocky movies in about an hour 40 or even shorter in the case of, of Rocky four. So uh, you got a, a much trimmer movie, which is going to sacrifice a lot of the, the character stuff that you're looking for. So I think one of the coolest things leading up to this fight is backstage, almost as sort of like Rocky's graduation ceremony. Instead of getting a diploma, Apollo gives Rocky the trunks that he wore when he fought Rocky, the red and white and blue striped trunks. And Rocky is incredibly touched by this. And it's a really cool moment because, as referenced, it's sort of like Rocky's graduation. And it's also a really nice gesture from Apollo saying, you're worthy of this. And then there's a joke about, you know, just returning them clean. Hewlett, what's your feelings on on this? Well, I think that Apollo giving Rocky his trunks is the the final acknowledgement that Apollo feels that he's in the ring with Rocky. You know, you're wearing his colors, you're wearing his clothes. This this is something that's near and dear to him. He's imparted on you his knowledge and his style, and now he's given you something to take into that fight with you. So, you know, he's he's essentially giving himself 
to Rocky to bring into the ring with him. And he's in there fighting Clubber at the same time. It's great. It's a, a great moment to establish this this relationship that the two of them have built through this training session and, and you know, Rocky coming out of his depression and, and you know, getting back on, on, on top. And I think Apollo feels a sense of pride in what he's accomplished with Rocky. So, you know, he's fully committed and along for the ride. And I was wondering to myself, though, since Apollo seems to have gone through a lot of the same training that Rocky did, I wonder what the Apollo-Clubber fight would have looked like. Do you think Apollo could have taken Clubber? Oof. Um, <sighs> you know what? I'm going to say that if Apollo could get it to go to... Uh, if he could go the distance, I think Apollo uh, would win on points, but I don't think he'd be able to withstand Clubber without getting knocked out. You think Clubber could go 15 rounds? I don't know that Apollo would have the the he never seemed to have the amount of power that maybe Rocky had. He may not have had the power to put Clubber down. Like while Clubber would be struggling, I don't know that. I don't know. He was he was older. I mean. It's tough to judge because you're going from – you don't know how much is he degraded from Rocky two, where he was still a world-class fighter, to when you see him in Rocky four when he's a punching bag. Yeah. I mean, you don't know where he is. If he's somewhere in between there, like he's still a competent fighter. He still was in shape. But Clubber Lang, you're led to believe that he's the number one contender. Yeah. And if – Apollo's been retired. It's been four years, so it'd be the same as a fighter coming out of retirement four years later going into a fight. I don't know that the guy you want to fight is Clubber Lang in your first fight. But again, if he manages to draw it out for... if Because he, he was all about stick and move. He can stick and move for six or seven rounds. Maybe he tires him out. Maybe he beats him. I don't think he drops him in two or three rounds, but he may be able oh, to... Oh, no. Maybe, you know what it could be? Do you remember the George Foreman-Michael Moore fight? Oh, yeah. When George Foreman wins the title when he's 45? Mm-hmm. He could have done that, where he spends most of the time taking the punishment, but he was a he was a veteran. He knew what to do. Boom! He popped the guy at the end. I mean, he could have done that. Mm-hmm. Moving beyond that, Jeff Ferry, um, feelings on the events that culminate with Apollo uh, handing off his his trunks. Oh, it's a great moment. I mean, it's definitely a uh, a movie type moment, but you can't help but love it because, like I said, Apollo is my favorite person in this movie. He elevates this movie. Without him, it's a more typical boxing-type movie. He really – his whole arc gives it a little something extra. Like he said, it's graduation day, and he keeps throwing it out there. That Well, the two things that he says is one is, now all you, all you do is owe me a favor. Now, it's no big deal. You just owe me one favor when this is all over. So you got that hanging over you the whole time. You're like wondering, like, what's his one favor? Uh, no, I cannot remember what the other thing I was going to say. I bet I was, I was about to make a brilliant point, and I lost it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I sure think it'll come to me after we're done. <laughs> yeah, I think you hit on something there that sort of separates Rocky 3 and 4 from the earlier entries in this series, like we talked about earlier, where 1 and 2 had comedic moments, but the comedy starting in part 3 is different. If you say that, like, Maybe the comedy in part one and two is, um, let's say, Bob Hope. In three and four, it, it kind of becomes Benny Hill, <laughs> where it's just a different kind of comedy. Is is that something that you feel as well, Jeff uh, Ferry, in terms of what really makes three and four um, 
stand out uh, like it does for me. No, again, it's just like I said. I think it's they're going for something different. Like uh, we said before, like I I went with the hyper realism thing, and Hula went with they're just being bigger. Well, everything's bigger. Even like the the comedy moments, instead of like one line, like a throwaway line in the first one, might be like a the condominium line from the first or the second movie where he says condominiums. I don't even use them. <laughs> yeah, it's just one goofy line and it's a chuckle. Like where there's supposed to be like laughs in this movie. There's actually like laugh moments, and even more so at the beginning of four, where they have like a whole five minute scene. It's just like a goofy comedy scene. It's not any better or worse than the first two movies. You're just they're going for something different. Yeah. Jeff Hewlett. Again, I don't know if I necessarily completely agree. I can see where you're going with that. And, and yeah, it's a little bit different. But again, I have a very, very hard time lumping three and four closely at all. Because I think three is much more like one and two than four is. Four is a completely far and away a different type of movie altogether. But that's a discussion for later on. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I guess now we should just get to the fight. And we talked a little bit about it in our how this movie was directed uh, portion. But basically, you couple Rocky's new style with a new strategy that Rocky comes up with um, that ultimately leads to his victory. And the fight pretty much starts out a lot like his first fight against Clubber. And you're almost led to believe that Clubber might just be too much boxer. What's your takeaway from that, Jeff Ferry? Uh, the first thing I'll say, if you notice, how long do you think this fight takes place after the last fight? Does it seem like a lot of time has gone by? Because he still has, at the beginning of the fight, there's still that huge cut under his eye from the last fight. Like, you can see it. Oh, it's wow. A, like, a huge thing. I'm like... Right at the beginning when they're facing off, I'm like, um, yeah, they would have never let that fight happen. Because <laughs> one punch and that's wide open. Like, you have to not have any cuts on your face. Yeah. So, like, I was like, okay. The thing that I didn't – that I – they make a big deal out of Apollo training him, giving him his footwork. And while they do work it into the fight, I would have actually liked it if they worked it in more. Like, if there was even more of him – you know, bobbing and weaving and making clubber miss. He does it a couple times where, like, after he lets him punch himself out, he really starts bobbing and weaving him on him a little bit. But it makes it seem like, yeah, Apollo gave me all that training, and I'm really good in the ring. But, look, I just came up with this strategy all by myself in the first round. I think I would have almost liked it better if that strategy had been discussed with him and Apollo first. Yeah. And, like, they'd come up with it together. Like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go in, and we're going to do this. Instead of it being like, it's almost like they had to give Rocky a moment to be like, yeah, I'm still the best. Look, I figured out how to take this guy down. It's not a huge deal, and it's definitely a, a nitpick at anything. And I'll say this, I I do appreciate, again, that the fight doesn't go 15 rounds. Like, they could have very easily have done it. This is the last fight. This is the big fight of the thing. They could have drugged this one out to 15 rounds like they do pretty much every other time. I did like that. They... Their strategy was, okay, I'm going to wear him out. He wore him out. He put him down. Yeah. I didn't love the series of punches that puts Mr. T down. I've seen better. You know, he always has, like, a big flurry before he puts whoever he's fighting down. Yeah. And I've seen better ones. Like, he has a series where he throws about 10 or 12 punches. 
they probably could have filmed it a little better because it almost looks like Stallone's getting tired at the end when he's throwing the last couple punches. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's a shame. Like, they probably should have cut and let him get in a couple real quick hits. But again, these are nitpicks. The fight is still good, as much as I've kind of ragged on it compared to the other two fights. It's still a good fight. I know you're never bored because it's like boom, 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 and you know he's down, it's over. Credits. Well, or not credits. I guess Rocky basically has a post-credit sequence. It was apparently it was the Avengers of its day with its post-credit sequence. Yeah. Jeff Hewlett. I'm not sure if I would agree that he came up with the strategy to put Clubber down prior to the fight. I I kind of got the impression that. You know, Rocky comes out in that first round and he's noticeably faster, noticeably more agile. You can tell that Clubber's kind of thrown off by the new fighting style. And I think Rocky, through the first round at least, feels like, you know, things might be working at least a little bit more in his favor because of this new style that he's got. But once he realizes he takes a few really hard hits and starts to realize that maybe he is kind of still a little bit scared. I think that for me was when he decided that this strategy of of just taking the punishment and antagonizing Clubber, making himself, uh, making him wear himself out, came to be. I, I'm maybe I need to watch it for the thirty fifth time uh, to to go back and 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 make sure. But that that's kind of the impression that I came away with. And I, like I don't think he really knew exactly what he was doing until uh, you know just before he sat down and. Uh, you know, Apollo was admonishing him and, and you know, he sort of gives Apollo the old, well, I know what I'm doing. I, I, I know how to take this guy down speech. But uh, overall, I really do like the fight. I, I like the fact that Rocky wasn't, he was like 98%. He wasn't 100%. He was still slightly vulnerable, at least. And uh, he hadn't completely dropped the fear aspect, but uh, he had dropped it enough to the point where he could overcome it. In yeah. the ring. So you see the final transformation of Rocky, you know, back to his former glory through that fight, not prior to it. So he wasn't completely the old Rocky again until he, you know, learned to overcome the fear in the face of fear itself, uh, which is great. There's still some really questionable moments during that fight, you know, like, like you know, Clubber tossing him into the corner, you know, things like that. I don't, they usually don't let that stuff fly. Uh, in, in a boxing match, uh, there's some really great choreography in this. I think the choreography in the first round is fantastic. I love that you can clearly tell that Rocky has a different fighting style. They make that very apparent in that first round. And uh, some of the strategy that's executed during the fight, I love how they play it out. And you can tell what's going on pretty clearly without any verbal instruction. Uh, you know, with with Rocky drawing Clubber into the corner to wear him down, it's a it's a different strategy than we've seen from Rocky in prior fights. But the one thing that kind of struck me as odd about this fight is it seems like all Rocky has to do to win is knock Clubber down one time. Yeah, you know, Clubber's a tough dude, right? I mean, this guy is you can tell that he's determined. You know, he's he's a he's a tough dude. He doesn't he doesn't take any crap from anybody. He's willing to take anybody on, but all Rocky has to do is put him to the mat one time and he can't get up from that. It seemed like Clubber would at least get up once or twice. Um, and, and that was a little bit disappointing to me that we didn't see more of a back and forth at least. Yeah. 
do you think maybe Clubber was sort of like um, like Mike Tyson um, in the Buster Douglas fight where he was more shocked at what had happened um, <laughs> as opposed to truly being physically dominated? Well, if you if you listen to Tyson's post fight interviews on that, <laughs> he does claim that he was sick or getting over some sort of a cold or flu at the time, and he kind of blamed that partially for the loss. So um, I'm not sure if uh, if that's a, a totally fair comparison, but I can see where you could draw that parallel because you know you would expect Tyson to get up, you know, after Buster Douglas knocked him down. I, I agree there. Yeah. So I I really like this fight. And the thing I like about it is this fight ends with Rocky having another victory that occurs not just in the ring, whereas Mm -hmm. his journey to getting back and winning the fight is one thing. But then also there's the personal victory, which I think is what makes some of the Rocky fights that are really effective. It takes them to another level. And I think Rocky three definitely has that arc that we might not see in some of the the future installments. And then as Jeff Ferry alluded to, we get our our stinger where Apollo cashes in his favor and we learn that Apollo wants to go um, a couple more rounds with Rocky. So they're in a private gym. They're in their sparring gear. Um, they go back and forth and then – they go to blows, and we cut to credits. Couldn't love that scene more. I mean, if you had any, if there was any cracks in that movie, that scene for me welds them all back up. Yeah. It's just, I mean, you basically only have, what, 40 minutes to establish these two guys' friendship in a like real way. Right. So you see their training montage, you see them, whatever. By the time they walk into that gym... You know, these those guys could have been friends for 20 years before they walked into that gym. I mean, the scene plays out great. They're both in great spirits. You know, he goes in there with the whole thing, and he's just like, you know, who's going to ring the bell? Ding, ding. And then they circle each other for a real long time, and, you know, they're going back and forth. Hey, you knew pretty good for an old guy. You know, I taught you everything I know. And then they come in, and they throw the punches. Boom. Roll credits and sound. And, you know, eye the tiger. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Hewlett, when we met Carl Weathers not too long ago, your autograph, you had him sign it, ding, ding, right? Yeah, I, I did. And that was something that I specifically requested. I think your brother had him sign ding, ding as well. Yeah. You know, speaking of ding, ding, that's kind of become a an iconic line that's accredited to Apollo and, and something that we, we missed talking about uh, during the beginning of the fight prior to this, you know, the, the T versus Rocky fight is that both of them got to throw out their signature lines. You know, you got a T saying, I pity the fool. And you also got Stallone coining the go for it phrase. (laughs) So everybody gets a signature line from this movie. (laughs) But I won't elaborate much more on what Jeff Ferry said. I think he encapsulated this scene pretty much perfectly. But one thing that sticks out in my mind when I watch this scene subsequent times is that does anybody know that these guys are there doing this. What happens if they hurt each other and are laying there in this <laughs> ring bloody? I mean, they're older guys. You know, they're punching the living crap. Out of each other, and they're fighting without headgear. There's no ref. There's no coaches. There's no trainers. There's nothing there but the two of them. So if they get hurt or one of them gets hurt, I mean, <laughs> this is not a good scenario. 
But at any rate, this is something that I think Rocky fans would want to see. You know, they leave you with that cliffhanger. You're scratching your head wondering who would have won this fight. And it's a great discussion starter for Rocky fans. So, you know, the, you, you got Rocky that now has most of Apollo's tips and tricks, but not everything. Because Apollo famously says, well, I didn't teach you everything I know. Only most of it. So Apollo's got a couple of tricks up his sleeve, you know, but he hasn't fought anybody in a long time. Rocky's just coming off a big win. Who's going to win this bout between the two of them? So it's a it's something that we'll never really know the answer to. Yeah. But uh, it's a great way to, to close up and button up the movie. Yeah. And then you've got the ending credits played to the tune of uh, Eye of the Tiger, mm-hmm. which has just become a, an iconic song in its own right. So that was a really great discussion regarding Rocky Three. I knew we were going to hit on a lot of really interesting things there. And for me, Rocky Three is really a special movie because I've talked about this probably on earlier episodes of the Slycast, on our earlier Rocky discussions, and it's really detailed in the Camel Clutch Cinema two-parter. But this was really the first Rocky movie that, I connected with when it came out because when I saw this, I was the right age for it. And when you're younger, you can't really appreciate some of the things that are going on in one and two, but Rocky three sort of everything lands right on the nose. So you've got the larger than life characters. So that's all really appealing to, uh, to, uh, you know, like a a 10 year old Jeff Hewlett, your final feelings on Rocky three. I'm a huge fan of this movie. This is probably number three in my running order of favorite Rocky movies, you know, following one and six. And I think you've got a fantastic villain in this movie. I don't it's definitely a bit different than one and two, but I don't think it's very far disconnected. It feels like a logical progression from one and two. And in fact, I think if they had not made any other Rocky movies after this, this could have been a fine closing to the series. I mean, you've got, you know, Rocky rising, falling, and then coming back up to his former glory and having a friendship with Apollo and being on top. And, and that would have been a period on the end of the sentence. I don't think that a, a Rocky fan could have been disappointed with it ending there, you know, especially looking forward and seeing how the series does wrap up. But I can see where some people may not care for this movie as much as as I and and you seem to. So um, it can be a contentious entry into the Rocky franchise. All right. Jeff Ferry. Well, I won't tell you where it ranks on my Rocky list because I don't want to ruin anybody's night. (laughs) But uh, it's not bad. I mean, let's be honest. There's only one bad movie in the whole series. We all know what it is and we'll have a good time when we get there. But uh. I do like it. Um, I hadn't watched it in a while. Having revisited it, it's actually better than I remember. I, in my memory, it was actually – I had given it even more grief than it really deserved. Like, Mr. T was a lot better than I remembered. The Apollo story was a lot better than I remembered. I just don't – in my mind, I know this is where the, the divide between you, me and Hewlett seemed to be. I don't, I, Craig, you seem to be about halfway between us on this. Mm-hmm. In my mind, Rocky 1 and 2 are two. Rambo First Blood, the way Rocky 3 and 4 are to First Blood Part 2. Yeah. Where they're all good in their own way, but, like, one is 
shooting for realism. One is not unrealistic, but just slightly more the other way. And I know that, you know, some of us think the three is a little closer. That That's just the way, in my mind, I've always, I've always separated the movies. One and two were together. Three and four were together. I tried to pretend five never happened. And six, you know, wrapped it up. Yeah. And six kind of went back almost to the first two where they, they again, they tried to be real, but there's still like elements of three and four in there. It's kind of a nice mix to where they close it off. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about Balboa. But I'm going to say, I think this all comes down to, I think both you guys are just a little bit older than I am. I'm assuming what Rocky 3 is to you guys is what Rocky 4 is to me. Oh. Oh. I think that's where the, I think that's where our divide is. I think I saw Rocky 4 before 3. I didn't see 3 till years later. Okay. And I think that's where all the problems are coming from. All right. So I would, I would be interested to ask somebody who's even younger than me. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't see it till later? I can't imagine anybody's going to say that they their five was their favorite. But like maybe somebody who somebody that's twenty or twenty five, what's their favorite Rocky movie? Yeah, that's a good. They point. have the whole series. Like, what, which one do they like? That's a good point. You know, it's funny, and you, you know, Jeff, you drew a parallel between where you see the Rocky and the Rambo franchises lining up, and I'd actually written a note for myself for Rocky Four, saying that I equated Rocky Four. In, in, I put it in the same bin with uh, First Blood Part Two, where you know they're they're both really fun watches, but you know I put one, two, and three, Rocky one, two, and three in the same boat as you know First Blood, the the first movie. So I felt that it was still a bit more serious and believable uh, than four was. So it's interesting those those different parallels that we can draw uh, between the two franchises as as Rocky fans of different ages. I think your your age comment may play a lot more into this than I would have thought of. Mm-hmm. That's uh, interesting, um, Jeff Ferry, in terms of perception. So if you'd like to interact with us and give us your thoughts on how old you are and how that affects how you relate to the Rocky movies, um, you can interact with us over on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Slycast or on Twitter at the Slycast. And uh, we've had a lot of great interactions already. So, uh, I'm very interested in seeing uh, where we go from here. And that brings us to the end of another Slycast, the Sylvester Stallone fan podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Just call it believe